Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, November 16th. We're sticking with the same script here on today's show. Of course, we have to dive into today's ATP Finals results. Two fantastic singles matches for two completely different reasons. Of course, your match of the day, the battle between Stefano Tsitsipas and Daniil Medvedev. Medvedev serves for the match, up 5-4 in the third. Ultimately, it's Tsitsipas who takes the battle in a deciding tiebreak. Such exciting tennis, not just throughout the course of the third set, but of course their second set breaker, arguably one of the best 10-minute stretches of tennis we have seen throughout the course of this 2022 season. That was story number one from Turin. Story number two, a dominant Novak Djokovic. Djokovic, another straight set victory, clinches his spot in the semifinal round. Straight set win over Andre Rublev. Boy, was Novak fantastic. And if you're a Djokovic fan, given the news that came out yesterday that it looks like he will be able to play the Australian Open, you are breathing a massive sigh of relief as it looks like Djokovic probably ends up at at least 22 Grand Slams, if not more. More moving forward, of course, if he sustains this level, he should absolutely capture the ATP Tour Finals. We'll dive headfirst into both of those matches here on today's show. And then, as always, got to keep updating you on what is the final USTA Pro Circuit Challenger of the season. The action in Champaign continues now. It was limited singles action on Wednesday at the event. That said, I have a guest. For all of you listeners here on today's show, who I know is going to have some fantastic thoughts in regards to champagne. And with that in mind, joining me on today's show for a belated edition of Tennis Point Tuesday is one of my favorite guests who joins us here at Crack Rack. It's essentially a co-host of this mini break podcast and, of course, a do-everything for our dear friends at Tennis Points. It's our guy, Nate Walrith. Nate, welcome back to the show exciting tennis for mid-november how are you doing today super exciting tennis i mean uh, no i'm great i mean we're finishing up our year-end content at tennis point which has been a lot of fun you know our um all of our list top 10 rackets top five shoes men and women top strings so it's been busy i feel like it's supposed to be the off season but we, we felt <laughs> like we got to finish strong in the uh down the stretch here and uh maybe december we'll have an off season but I feel like tennis is that one sport that's 365, as, as you well as you know as well as anybody. Yeah, there's no off season for the athletes. No off season ever in the content game. Come on, Nate. We still it's, no. I know. I, my I'm list. I'm gonna have somebody of- in though. The intern's gonna get loaded. I'm loaded up on the intern for all December. <laughs> He's, he, uh, we're gonna find an intern that's ready to take over the content world. 
I have a note on my laptop and phone that's called November December podcasts, and the list is already over twenty topics that I want to cover. Like today, I added what are the best rivalries. That's a great December podcast, right? Should I book you for that? Are we locking you in? Should I find someone? Me, I mean, again, yeah, I have. Give me is, in on rival talk. Anytime we can have some banter with you. Yeah, no, rivalry for sure. Week. What I do now, whenever I do a solo mini break podcast, if there's a question I'm asking myself at the end of one of my monologues, I go, you know what? Let me just throw it on the November, December list. We'll find someone to have that conversation with. Like yesterday, my con- like, I think this is interesting. Is Casper Rude at 23 years old? And that's the key number. Let's remember 23 years old, back-to-back semifinals at the ATP finals, two major finals this year. Is he underrated? Like, I actually think that's a conversation we should have in December because I think a lot of, if it was any other 23 year old, how are you not ecstatic about that guy's future? And it's like, I don't think people put him in definitive tier one category when his resume probably suggests he should be. I feel like we just talked about this the other week on here. Where I was like, mm-hmm. is Casper still underrated? Like, to, at what? I mean, I, I feel like I'm guilty myself of probably doing the same. That's why yesterday Me too. you may have seen a, a tennis point Instagram go out there. I was like, we just have to show this guy some love. He's the highest ranked Yonex E-Zone player. He's one of the faces of the tour. He's got great charisma. He's just a genuine dude. He's, he's, a, he's, a, great, he's a great person to have as a, one of the faces of our sport. It's like we should probably start giving this guy the flowers he deserves. I mean, it's been two straight years of just putting on a show across the globe. Well, Super Producer Daniel Westoff, throw an applause in there because I appreciate your correct pronunciation of Yonix maybe more than anyone this side of Dave Limke would. So shout out to you as always here to start the show. But no, I, I think that's a fun conversation to have November, December. Where is he in the hierarchy moving forward again? I've got a plethora of topics just loaded for Tennis Point Tuesdays to end the year, Nate. So oh. don't think you're getting a break from the content here at Crack No, Rackets. mini break. I can always take a mini break, baby. Always. That's what I like to hear. My mom made a mini break pun unintentionally yesterday when I was on the phone with her. And by the way, of course, <laughs> my mom will laugh and be like, yeah, of course you're name dropping one of the four times in your life you've actually picked up the phone when I've called you. And it's like, yeah. That's what I do here on this show. Um, embellish my mother calling resume. Anyway, she made a mini break pun yesterday. And I was like, nice. I was like, do you see what you did there? And she goes like, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's all I needed from you. But your correct pronunciation of Yonix, of course, a testament to your work at Tennis Point. And as all of our listeners know, Tennis, the point, the location for all the latest and greatest products on the tennis market. Now, today, I know you were shooting some shoes. Talk to me about what's up at Tennis Point. You talked about that year-end content. What can we expect from you guys down the home stretch? Yeah, so for, for sure, last week we wrapped up the top 10 rackets. You guys can find those on our YouTube page, on our Instagram page, uh, as well as the homepage of our website. We have a landing page that kind of has all of the rackets and kind of what makes them unique. That was a ton of fun as we get together with our play testers and our um, just the marketing team in general and kind of discuss where we seed each racket and why. And um, now we were up to shoes. So top five shoes for both men and women. I will say there is no brand that is repeated twice. So it's every there's one shoe from each brand, which is pretty cool that we have uh, five different brands um, in our top five on both men and women's side. Um, yeah, I think where the shoes have gone, I think like particularly with like New Bounce, for example, it's just been really cool. I mean, I've only been working in tennis full time now for two years, but just to watch them transition from, in my eyes, at least like a, 
a gentleman's shoe or a uh, more of a streetwear type shoe with like their, um, yeah, they've got the style, the lifestyle shoes. Now they're kind of leaning into that same uh, mind mind frame with their tennis world, going into the dipping into the younger audience, more colorful shoes, uh, color, color schemes. Um, they've got the Coco basketball shoe, which is definitely geared towards those aggressive high performance players and the fresh foams that you're seeing with Tommy Paul and Cressy and um, Wolf, all these players. So it's been fun to watch the stories from some of these brands that as they try to tie the pieces together and take chunks of the market away from the Nikes and Adidas's out there. So uh, it might've, might've just given you guys a hint as to one of the top five <laughs> shoes, but you guys can find the rest on our social or on YouTube. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. We've got uh, a really fun team shooting the content. So it's, it's cool to get on court, test them and uh, give some live reactions and thoughts. Yeah. All on Instagram, Twitter, et cetera. Where can we find it all? Yeah, so our YouTube page, tennis-point-usa. Are we getting a new YouTube commercial? Because I've seen the new one where you're just talking in the background and you're like, I, Nate Walrith, am just trying to entice all of you. And it's very good. No, we just shot a commercial on Sunday. So you guys will be getting a new commercial. Uh, I'm supposed to see the first revisions of it today. So it has to be shipped out by Friday. So hopefully I get that on my on my in my inbox today. But um, no, we, we did a fun commercial with three girls kind of telling the story of a young junior player going up to the, to the high school in the college ranks and kind of how tennis is a lifetime sport. So hopefully okay. you guys will see that soon. We have met before in person, just to confirm for the listeners. Will you, yes, you can confirm. True or false? I can confirm on uh, a few occasions, right? Three or four. More than one occasion, four. I agree. Yeah. You uh, Would you define me as, I wouldn't say athletically built, but not unathletically built? You, yeah, For sure. Yeah, you look like a tennis. You look like a tennis player, bro. Okay, I'm glad you said that. So this gets me to my final six question. Foot, six foot one, slender build. Okay. You know, he's got the. <laughs> Let's be clear. Just, no, six, six two. Six two. It's the posture. The posture makes the me posture. lose an inch. Yeah, poor posture. I've long been accused. There we go. No, yeah. definitely has the look, look of a tennis player. You're just like Gil Gross once called me. Uh, Sleepy tall or sneaky tall? Yeah. I think I think I thought I thought you were you were sneaky tall on me. I was like, damn, he's a, he's a big boy. Well, I appreciate you saying this. This gets to the question, and you just said it. I look like a tennis player, which some scholars have argued is very very true. How have I not gotten the call up to a commercial yet? Like, do you want to see Dang. my backhand swing? Because the moment <laughs> you see that backhand on camera, I'll send you a clip of me hitting the backhand from college. I once sent it to Carousel, who has a birthday gift, who was very kind, did a commentary on my swings and what he'd correct. And he's like, he. at first I hit a backhand. He goes, you know what? Backhand's pretty good. And then he gets in the I, forehand yeah. and he goes, that's more like it. And anyways. I do not want him to look at my backhand. He can there, look at my forehand. He, he cannot look at my backhand. There is nothing I would like more than you narrating over me swinging on a backhand. And but, uh, all I'm saying is I'm available. And guess what? My quote. What you have to pay me, very, very minimal. Let me Dare I a, say, let me I might have to shoot. pay you, and I'm not opposed. All right. Well, I, I got you on the – you're on the back burner for the next shoot. I got, I'll tell the story, but we don't have your – we have to update your racket. We got to update your racket, and then you're in. <laughs> well, I, 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 won't, I won't even drop the verbiage of what, what you're using over there, but just tennis fans up there, just know that Gruskin is hitting with a piece of tree bark. Can I just say I'm very fortunate that we've done this enough times now that for Tennis Point Tuesday listeners, that'll be a deep cut. They'll be like, oh, we know exactly what you're talking about. And that's very, very funny. I'm happy 
to switch out the rackets for modeling purposes. I will also say we can just do the parody version. And so for the people who are tennis fans but also watch Comedy Central, that's the Tennis Point commercial they're going to get on YouTube is just, you know, poking some fun at all of it. And, (laughs) you know, I'll go out on what I typically dress in and then I can get myself properly dressed. I want to see you in the Tennis Channel giddy-up you got. I want to see that whole get-up that you wore on (laughs) the suit tie with with, with uh, with the ball cap look. Get you, yeah. That's you know, we while we're in opening tangent mode, some people don't know. I wore a uniform going to school growing up, and so we had to wear a tie, button-up. We got to wear – it was like a – you had to wear a sport jacket on – well, you had to, got to wear like a varsity sweater, which is like a little button-up. What, what's the uh, – it's not a – see, now my my lack of fashion is being you exposed. S- you still wear a – you it's not like a cashmere sweater, but yeah, well, yeah, it's the, sweatpants and a hoodie. Um, it's it's whatever college is supporting the show of the day. Today it is the Illinois Fighting Illini. Yeah, it's whatever at the top of the pile. Um, no, I very true. Um, but I like like the thing. Here's my pro uniform argument: is that gr- growing up having to wear it. A, you never had to think about what you were wearing That's... to school every day, which has its benefits. Although, B, later in life when you have to think about how to dress yourself, you're not good at it. So I suppose that's a con. But B, you're just no, no. comfortable operating in suit and ties. I'm like, I'm still flexible. I've like I've maneuvered in this my whole life. Like I I am not uncomfortable. And I think that's the I mean, in a, I think that's the downfall, right? Mm. Of wearing a suit and tie is you feel suffocated. You don't if you grew up wearing it. I can't imagine at this point in my life working in a job where I could rock a backwards hat and a, a hoodie. <laughs> like at this point, I'm like, it's just like, I don't have to brush my hair. I don't have to just put the backwards ball cap on, put on some joggers, put on some shoes and a hoodie and ready to rock. I think my favorite part about going to LA is being in a big office again. But yeah, I'm like, ugh, like if coming You here, like dressing up though. You like it? No, no, no. <laughs> How many? You just said what my outfit is: college gear and a hat. Like that is that dressing. <laughs> yeah, dressing up for me is you know dr- yeah. Dressing up for me is oh Charlotte sent me a collared shirt and I'm gonna wear that today. Like that's dressing I, up. I don't have you on Snapchat, but I can only assume that you were putting up a daily Snapchat selfie in the mirror when you were dressing up on Tennis Channel. Yeah, so I retired from Snapchat. I would say I think it was after my sophomore year of college. I sent a snap to my older brother and his roommates, which only they would get. And I was like, it's never going to get better than this. You don't use this that much anyways. It's time to retire. And I retired you don't have many, Snapchat. You don't have many more platform, platforms to retire from. So no, if Elon easy. Musk f***s up Twitter, I'm screwed. Like, that's all I got. <laughs> like, I got nothing else other than these podcasts. So, like, I'm in trouble. Um, Man, I just, I just copped my old Ruskin follow on Twitter, so I'm still excited about that. I still... <laughs> I give it a. I get one daily fist pumping every time I remember Al Grusman. Well, me a that's follow. how you know it's coming to an end, right? The apocalypse <laughs> is coming. But no. With all that said, tennis-point.com. Use the promo code CR15, fifteen percent off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding seventy-five dollars. Best of all, that free can of Wilson Extra Duty tennis balls. With that said, Nate, let's get into today's action. Tsitsipas, Medvedev, Djokovic, Rublev, Champagne Challenger ongoing. I said yesterday that, you know what, I'm going to stick to the rule because I am a law-abiding citizen, as Nate knows. Anytime a Federer, a Serena, 
a Rafa, a Djokovic steps on court. They are the biggest story of the day. So we can start with Djokovic versus Rublev. Now, I don't think it's going to take very long to analyze this match because, simply put, it was all Novak from start to finish. At no point did you not think Novak was in control. And for Djokovic, ultimately, it's a 6-4-6-1 victory that, and here's the big stat for you coming out of the net match, Nate, he dropped two points on his first serve in this match. Two points behind the first serve, and he made 81% of them. He was so efficient with his first forehands, and he wasn't always, you know, striking winners behind those first forehands on every point, but he was just so efficient in finding his targets. He could find the Andre Rublev backhand whenever he'd like, and in particular, his willingness to change direction with his forehand down the line in the match. It just kept Rublev honest the entire time. And my takeaway from this match, from his first two matches where he's yet to be broken, he's dropped a total of 11 points on his first serve in 20 total service games. That's ridiculous. Zero break points, guys? Yeah, I think the takeaway is just, and we said this coming in, but now we know for sure, it's like, yeah, it's his title to lose. He's that good. He's better than the rest of the field right now. And I know he lost to Holger last week in the Paris final. There seems to be no wear and tear. He seems ready to go, Nate. If this is Novak Djokovic, he's winning this event, and he's your unequivocal favorite in Australia, right? 100%. I mean, this guy is incredible. And he, like, for the news that he came out that he'll be playing in Australia is just huge for the tennis world, that we get one of the best talents to ever play, and someone that can rival the the up-and-coming Carlos and the Medvedevs and the Kyrgios. And we just get one of the faces of our sport back. But I think I I knew – Novak was back. I mean, you, I never thought he was out, but like when he hit that shot against Tsitsipas on the dead run, on the back out of the backhand corner, that short cross court backhand that Tsitsipas challenged, and it was like couldn't believe that it cut the line. Like when he's still coming up with that type of shot making on the dead run, I mean, you know, this guy's motivated. He's locked in. He's he's super fit and healthy, given that he had a lot of time off. And no, I mean, Novak is playing absurd tennis, and I mean. I, Regardless of how you feel about him, I know there's people that like, he seems to be a polarizing character, but it's just great for the game to see him come back into our sport and be at the top of the game. Is He probably is still the best player in the world at this point. He had 26 total winners and unforced errors. What was the split? I'll say, that's a good question. Uh, I'll say <laughs> Thank you. 20, I have the answer in front 20, of me. I know. I like the question. That's not a, you know, 20 to 6. Someone, again, second time for the pod. Give Nate Walrith a round of applause. 20 and 6, exactly the ratio. He hits 20 winners against just six unforced errors. He has, uh, you know, 12 aces on the match as well. That's a ridiculous number. But here's the big thing. 23 of the 43 serves he landed in this match went unreturned. 23 free points for Novak Djokovic. Ha- over half of his points on serve were free. If he's going to generate was, that performance, yeah. and let's be clear, over. it helps to be on an indoor hardcourt. But yeah, as you said, it's over. It's over. Because, I mean, he's never been known as a serve, a serve bot or anything like that. And he's never – I mean, sometimes his second serve is 75 miles an hour. So it's like if he's serving that well on the first one, it's it's over. And this is a slower, softer hardcourt, as we've heard Courier talk about and. I think as we've seen these rallies, these extended rallies uh, with uh, Medvedev and Rublev having multiple 35-plus ball rallies in yesterday's tiebreaker or two days ago. I mean, so this court's playing slower, and the fact that he's still finding 
that type of accuracy and pinpoint uh, placement on every serve, I mean, it's over. Yeah, and you know, to that point, you look for Novak Djokovic here this season now, thirty-nine and seven overall. I mentioned this on an earlier podcast this week. He now has eight top ten victories. You know, he played two thirds of the schedule tops overall this year. That eight top ten victories, it's third, but it's one behind the guys who are tied for first who have nine. And given the pace he's on, two more wins at this event, they'll all be top ten. He's going to end the year, A, as the only player with double-digit top 10 victories, B, with the most top 10 victories, and he didn't play a full schedule. That's ludicrous. Part B, and to get back to what you were talking about, he has held 87.8% of the time this season. That's a top 10 number on the ATP Tour. It's also 1.8% above his career average. And, you know, he's winning 77.7% of his first serve points. That's 3.8% above his career average. The older you get, the better you need to get behind your first serve. And very quietly, though very obvious to those who watch Novak closely, his first serve and first forehand combination has gotten that much more effective. I still think he floats some volleys. I don't think he is naturally – I think he has good feel. I don't think he's naturally a comfortable volleyer, but he has gotten far better. Obviously, he is a good volleyer in the binary system. It's just relative to his other skills is what I'm talking about. But that adjustment, it's like that's why at age 35, he's still the best player in the world. It's because like he has gotten better at things still. Are you getting more credit to the server to the forehand if you had to give the edge? It's a great – question i think it's it has to be the serve because his targets now on the serve are just so precise i'm not saying it's the best serve on tour because it's not but his slice out wide on the deuce which just opens up the first forehand to the backhand which he employed so well against both Pass and rublev it was just like his ability to do that That's why the match was never in question. And Rublev played a really good first set. I mean, he had game points for five all, was up 40-30, played three shaky points, which, you know, Novak put the pressure on him. Credit, of course, to Novak. I don't think people have to worry that we're not giving him enough credit here today. But it's just, it's so relentless for Djokovic. And it's not the relentlessness of Rafa in that you know exactly what Rafa's going to do, and yet you still can't stop it. That's the relentlessness of Rafa. The relentlessness of Novak is you think you've done something good, and then he just does something better. And it's just like every time. It's just you think you've hit a good forehand out of the corner. Nope, he scooped that ball up the line, and he half-volleyed it as a ground stroke, and now you're still on the sprint. And it's just that ability to win free points for himself and to have to do all the improvisational stuff less – I mean, I think we have a Tom Brady situation on our hands where he's going to play till he dies on the court, not literally, but figuratively, like a knee, just it's like I can't do it anymore. Um, And that's why, you know, again, his ability to continue to get better and have to do the freakish stuff, even just 4% less, that's why at 35, he's still the guy. Yeah, I think think you're right. I think ultimately I think the serve has just gotten – he just finds rhythm more easily. Yeah. Uh, in the throughout matches. serve on the ad. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. He gets, I, I don't, I have to watch it, some of his serves from 10 to 12 years ago, but I do feel like he's getting more weight into every ball. And I think you find him back, like he has to back up for that first ball more than he used to. I feel like to get that forehand that's coming back deeper in the court, 
he almost has to back up because he's putting so much more momentum behind each ball. But no, I think if he's serving like he is now, and obviously he's, he's improved his, his drive, he's got a drop shot that he's added to his game. He looks a little bit more comfortable uh, at the net and finishing it with, with the overheads. But I mean, yeah, it's not fair what this guy looks like at 35. He looks like he's, he's playing like most 25 year olds out there. Early in his career, he had some double fault issues. He had some first serve yeah. issues. To me, the big difference now is it's just the confidence. He's like, nope, I know yeah. if I go wide, then I'm doing this shot, and now I'm doing mm-hmm. this, and you're just mm-hmm. not going to beat me when I do those four things in combination. And he's right. Like, that's what we yeah, saw he's not adding a ton. Rublev. He's not adding a ton more MPH on the ball, but yeah. it does look like the ball's he, – yeah, he's pinpointing, but he's pinpointing on, on all of those first serve placements. Yeah, the other crazy thing for Novak, you look this year now, 39-7, and 70, wins 85% of his matches again, and that's above his career average, and it's just like, it's laughable. It's the best, I'm sorry, Federer fans, well, I mean, Federer 0-4 to 10 is a really good six-year run. Rafa, what he's done, obviously outstanding, but this 12-year run from, or 11-year run, whatever it is, 2011 and now for Novak, we're never going to see anything like it again. I just like to expect th- someone to do this again. I mean, again, I always say jokingly, Alcaraz is not out of the greatest of all time discussion. But this is now the bar, and it just keeps getting raised. It's like he yeah. wins 85% of his matches, he wins a slam title, and it's considered a disappointing year for Novak. That's yep. cr- it's crazy. And it, it, I think he does have some of that Tom Brady mindset as well. Is like he doesn't forget things. And I think Rublev got him in Belgrade, Serbia this past year on his home turf. And I think he remembers stuff like that and how it made him feel. And he uses that to kind of re-energize him and re-motivate him. And it's like he was trying to prove a message and send a message to the whole tour. Like, you know, like, you know, you guys think this guy's on one and he rips from Medvedev, but like, I'm going to take him out in straight sets and he's, he's going to get a, a breadstick in the second one. I actually think it's a little bit of the other side of Oh, did you guys hear the news? I'm playing the Australian Open. Just a reminder, you guys don't have to come. Like I, I would, I was. Shout out to my friends, uh, my guy Izzy over in New Zealand, who has me on his radio show to talk tennis every so often. Izzy's the man, um, and he asked me who my favorite for the ATP Finals is, and I'll say here what I said there. This is one of those weeks where you just feel like, oh, Novak showed up, like. I, we don't. You all can go home. Like we can just give him the trophy. I like not to be rude to the rest of the field because, pun intended, Kasparud has played really well. Taylor Fritz has played really well. I think Medvedev and Tsitsipas haven't played bad, but Novak's just Novaking right now. Does he and, look sharper than he did in Paris? Yes. Ah, uh, no. Like he looks sharper than he did in the final, particularly the. Th- right. the but that's what like, I mean. Yeah, in the final. Yeah. Yeah, he looks much sharper than yeah. he did in the final, yeah. but I think he's looked like this through the majority of this post-U.S. Open run, and so he's been excellent. On the other side with Rublev, for Rublev to get the win over Medvedev after blowing the first set the way he did, I talked about how important that was on Monday show, but you look for Andre Rublev, I'm curious. Uh, obviously, he's going to be playing Tsitsipas with all the marbles on the line. Winner advances to the semifinals. The, you know, if For Andre Rublev, the player he's played the most in his career is Stefano Tsitsipas. They've played 11 times. It's a 6-5 head-to-head vic- uh, advantage for Tsitsipas. Tsitsipas, for what it's worth, player he's played the most. Can you guess? It's two players. They're tied at 12. Zverev and... Um, are we going to round of applause? And for the third time, you're halfway home. Me, you are I halfway home. It's Zverev and Medi. 
Zverev and no. no, don't tell me. Is it? It's a top. Uh, how old is he? No, I'm not telling you that. Damn. It might be I Medvedev. I, you just tell me when you're locked in. Med- Medvedev. I'm locking Medvedev in. Zverev Djokovic is the answer. Ooh. So yeah, it's uh, Djokovic has played him twelve times. Djokovic ten and two. Tsitsipas eight and four wow. against Zverev. Tsitsipas, here's a fun one. I always like looking at these. And by the way, Zverev, Dimonauer, uh, excuse me, Zverev, Tsitsipas, Medvedev have all played each other double digits now. Like it's getting right. up there. They're gonna they're gonna have fun. Assuming Alcaraz and Sinner don't muck things up, it could get and Runa should have to probably put him there now as well. Um, it could get really fun for them. Like they could get to the 25-30 number that Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Murray all seemingly got to. And that's just better for tennis when there are better. really oh. fun rivalries, which will be, again, a podcast Nate and I discuss, I suppose, in November. The fun one is Tsitsipas is 10-1 against Demon Hour in his career. He's just like, look, Alex, you skitter, you you move fast, but I'm just going to overwhelm you. Um, that's just interesting for me to see. But on the flip side, again, you look for Andre Rublev, who now overall here on the season has had a pretty solid year. Rublev, uh, now you look again, I'm, I apologize, I flipped over to the head-to-head. So I moved to his tab now this season, 50-19, and 19, winning 72% of his matches. You look for him, he's... Seven and eight against top twenty opponents. Four and four against the top ten. Did your perceptions of Andre Rublev, age twenty five, now change at all after this twenty twenty two season? Is there anything he could do at this event to change your perception? No, I think Rublev is who he is. He's going to strike big. He's somewhat one dimensional, in my opinion. Doesn't have a ton of variety. Um, is like I mean, this is obviously he has variety at some at some level. He's top ten. But against the top 10 guys that he's going to face in the semifinals and on, he just doesn't have the variety to like affect like a no-back, I think, over the long haul of a, a longer match. But, I mean, Rulev's going to swing out of his shoes. He's got plenty of weapons to hurt you. If you're not striking the ball well and finding good depth on your ground strokes, he's going to make it hurt. And he's his serve's pretty – he's got a pretty damn good serve. But, no, I think Rublev is who he is. I don't think – if he gets a grand slam, I think that's like – like one grand slam, I think that would be – that would surprise me, honestly. I, I don't expect him to win a Grand Slam, but I expect him to be around in the quarters and semifinals of a lot of these events. No, he's definitely Tier 2. Um, and for Rublev, to, again, to get the win over Medvedev was huge. Obviously, to beat Djokovic in Belgrade was a really big win as well. He did make a couple of quarterfinals this year at the French Open, uh, at the uh, U.S. Open, of course, as well. I mean, you look He's for- a guy that... The Tiafos can beat like the guys that are almost at that, that level. I think they, they can find weaknesses in his game and they can push him and get to the front court and make him panic a little bit. Like I think, yeah, I, I think he's like pretty one dimensional in my opinion. Well, it's interesting conversation. I'm putting it on the November, December list. What is Rublev's upside? So here's the question. You talk about him being one dimensional. How does he get better from here? He has gotten so much better as a mover from when he was 18, 19 years old. I used to think he had stiff hips. I don't anymore. I think the backhand is more than serviceable. Like, I thought the backhand held up pretty well in set number one. It started to break down, as a lot of things did, in set number two. Obviously, he gets very angry at himself. That's always something you feel like he can work on. Uh, You look 
for Rublev. I mean, the second serve still hangs short. He's bottom 25 amongst top 50 players in second serve win percentage, yet he's still one of just 10 players to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. Now, he's not elite in either category, but he's pretty good at everything right now. And you feel like with his serve, his forehand, couldn't he get? Couldn't he be a top ten server at some point? Sure, I think he could be. Yeah, because he can the bring best it to version of him. Yeah, or just version. like yeah, exactly. But the front court worries me about him. I think to be dominant on the like on the hard courts and on and to be a factor on the grass, you have to have the goods in the front court and closing those points out that can be extended. And then you got the guys like Stacy Pass who have that the, the scrap ability, I'll call it like the, the ability to throw a ball up high to kind of find some time to recover back to the baseline. And I mean, guys like Medvedev just aren't comfortable slapping a winner from the baseline. Like I got a curious, won't phase him, but a lot of these players, I mean, it's like to generate your own pace. It's not a lot, something a lot of these guys love to do. They like to kind of send pace back the other direction and redirect. But I think he has to find that like some change of some off speed stuff. It's similar to like we see with JJ Wolf. It's like, you have to go continental grip on some four on some of your returns. You can't always blast the ball back to the baseline, and you got to chip. You got to chip the ball back and make guys beat you a little bit more. And and I think his slice. I don't think he has a great slice. And I think there's like as good as he is. I think there's room for improvement that in a couple of facets. I mean, I, I could be crazy, but I think he, if he finds something like City Pasta seems to have found a, a couple more layers to his game that have made him more dynamic across surfaces, so that he's not just a good great clay court player like City Pasta can hold up over the long haul across all surfaces now, because I think he has, uh, I don't think his slice is great by any means, but at least he had, he can revert back to it when he needs to. And it's, it's something. So it's so the change of pace is so important at that level. Yeah. Very fair point. I think it's definitely a December topic. You look for Rublev today, 10 service winners, 18 total winners against 21 unforced errors, 13 unforced errors on the forehand wing. Now, the problem was he was gunning the forehand, but he was 2-4 at the net. Like, he's got to be willing to move forward, and that's something he has Doesn't tried to work into his game. But he just didn't do it early on the way Sinner and Nakashima have as relentlessly. And you feel like their willingness to do that er- so early will pay dividends when they are 24-25. Rublev just needs to start doing that now, and he has to some extent, but... It's just not quite where it needs to be. That said, again, he's playing with the money on the line. Five and six against Tsitsipas' career head-to-head. That is going to be an awesome match for all of us on Friday. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. That said, we had another awesome match here on Wednesday, and I mean, anytime you go 7-6 in the third, you want to talk about it a little bit. For Stefano Tsitsipas, it's another three-set win over Daniil Medvedev. He got Medvedev, obviously, in Cincinnati. Tsitsipas gets him once again, 6-3, 6-7, 7-6. Now, I alluded to this earlier, but Daniil Medvedev served for this match up 5-4, uh, excuse me, in the third set. Tsitsipas also had match points in the second set breaker a breaker Medvedev ultimately takes 13-11 this match was remarkable I have a couple of takeaways I'd like to offer but I give you the floor first Nate what's your reaction to this result the last my first reaction was that third set tiebreaker was a disaster from Medi's side of the court 
I don't know what was going on with the shot selection. He seemed to be completely out of sorts and didn't have any shot tolerance for the backhand to backhand exchanges. I'm not sure when, like, because Medvi's Medvi's always been super steady, especially from that wing, and more than willing to trade backhands to backhand and really just kind of sit there until the person changes directions and then he kind of counters. But I don't know what it was today. He just seemed very uncomfortable. And like I, I was telling you, I was driving home. I didn't get to catch the first set. I caught the end of the second and the third set. Um, so I just think Met, Medi is some, there's some areas of concern where he, for three years, it seemed like he was the best hardcore player in, in the, in the world. And this past hardcore season now into the, uh, fall and winter, he seems to have like, there's some things have gone like suspect. I don't know if it's just more mental. It doesn't seem to be physical, but it just seems like he's has, has more lapses mentally. Well, the glass half full conversation comes from the glass half empty perspective for Medvedev here. You talk for Daniel Medvedev, 2019 hard court summer onwards goes 29 and seven to end the year. 2020 clay results are mixed in. He still goes 20 and six that year. And if you mix out the clay results, he won over 80% of his hard court matches. Uh, 2021, he goes 31 and four last year to end this season, obviously wins the U S open title, 89% win percentage. This year he's now 18 and eight in this home stretch of the season, right around 70%. That's still very good, but it's not quite as good as Daniel Medvedev has been the past three years. And I think it's because the book is out. And where do you get to what did Stefano Tsitsipas do so well in this match? He pulverized and punished Daniel Medvedev for his court positioning. Every yep. time Medvedev was going to be 12 feet behind the baseline, Tsitsipas said, okay, I'll serve in volley. And not only did he yep. have nine aces on the day, but 30 of 37 at the net. Exactly. And yep. so many of those net points, here's the real problem. All he had, all CTPS had to do was make the volley. Didn't have to make yeah. like a short angle, tough one. Just put the volley in the court. And here's the thing. So glass half full for Medvedev is you have to be as good as a Tsitsipas, as a Kyrgios at that game style to truly take advantage of it. But if you are that good at it, the book is out that that avenue is there. It doesn't seem like Medi has a counter to that strategy when these guys like Tsitsipas. Yeah, because his forehand keep... gets picked on, right? It's like if I stand yep. too close, I don't know if I can get my backswing where it needs to be. He was, and, and Tsitsipas, it was just like tunnel vision. He's like, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. And like he just kept doing it. Tsitsipas, like I was talking about before, he's added that variety and that second layer to his game where he's super comfortable, to, whether it's a swinging volley, a knockoff volley on either side. The overhead is superb. He's just—he's a superb athlete. I mean, he's a—he's a beast out there. So he can jump, he can run, he's—he can chase down the lob. So it's hard to hurt City Pass when when he gets up there, and when you give him that much confidence, when he does win ninety-five percent of the points up there, it's just a lot to ask Medvedev to be 12, 15 feet behind the baseline and try to scrape a backhand winner. I mean, and he, and you can hear him try to push the ball past City Pass, but City Pass is so close to the net, it's just an easy volley. And just like you said, I mean, he wasn't even doing anything special. He was just putting it to the open court. And it's over. And I think Medvedev, like he hasn't, he has to find an answer whether it's changed core positioning and or the forehand. Like you said, it's just there's a lot of room for error, so he has to have that spacing to get the timing that he needs on that that wing. It's also just the weight of his forehand. To your point, and today, 24 winners on that forehand wing against 18 unforced errors. He just kept swinging. And that's what I love, especially when it looked like his legs were a little bit dead in that third set to get the break back. Yeah, Medvedev th uh, threw in some sloppy forehands. And, you know, just to finish the Medvedev thought, I suppose, 
the forehand was bad today. Early on, how did Tsitsipas get the break right in the opening service game? Medvedev made two really shaky forehand errors where it just sailed on him. And you look for him today, Medvedev, 10 forehand winners, 20 forehand unforced errors. It was bad against the heaviness of that Tsitsipas forehand. But that's what it gets back to is, man, and I said this earlier in the week, so I won't repeat myself. I'll just throw it to you. The serve, the forehand, these top 10 and hold percentage, they're elite. Like when Tsitsipas, especially on an advantageous surface, like a fast indoor hard court, he's just going to be in the mix because he's going to hold serve so frequently. No, for sure. I think Tsitsipas, he's, his serve is deadly. And I think Riley Opelka has said for a couple of years now that he thinks he has the best forehand on the tour. And when Riley said that, I, I want to say it was almost two years ago, I was like, no way. Tsitsipas has the – and now that I've watched it even more closely ever since Opelka kind of put that in my mind, I'm like, he really does punish every forehand with great depth. It's super heavy, and he moves you around so well. Um, no, Sitipas has taken his game to the next level, and I think on a hard court. I didn't know if he could reach this level with the backhand return being a little bit questionable, but his level was ridiculous, and I think that's what forced Medvedev into sloppy shot selection. I mean, there was a few times there that like the drop shot was just like – it didn't even look like Medi – it was just like a bailout. And when you're making a top guy bailout, especially the guy that's been the best on that surface for three years in a row, you're doing something right. And I don't know if it's the addition to his new with his new coach, or what? But Tsitsipas seems to have his men- mental on straight. And, um, yeah, he seems to rebound it from that loss at Wimbledon. And he's on the good way. Yeah, the other thing I would say, if you haven't, go watch the second set, uh, the second set breaker and just the physicality of this match. Yeah, there were a lot of big first serves from Medvedev into the Tsitsipas backhand or even into the body that went on return. Ditto. Again, Tsitsipas did a really good job of getting Medvedev either extraordinarily stretched with his first serve or just hitting an outright service winner. Um, but... The physicality at times of this match, particularly, again, if you're going to watch anything from Wednesday, go watch the second set breaker. So many of those shots, 10, 15, 20 balls, and both guys, the stamina, the fight, the creativity, the improvisation. It was really, it was, this was a really high level match. This is what an ATP finals, dare I say, deciding elimination match for Medvedev and really Tsitsipas as it was, you know, neither guy wants to be 0-2 and, and then it would have perhaps, well, I guess Tsitsipas would have still had a shot, but still, this was extraordinarily I, I, high level tennis, I thought. And I don't think these guys are the best of buddies. So it even makes it just, uh, it's a good rivalry. These guys, it really is. They've played 11, other. you know, they've played, or you look, what was their number? They've played uh, between these two. I'll look it up, but keep going. No, and I think, but tennis needs to, to build into the, to the rivalries because uh, right now it's like for a while, everybody loved the big three. It's like you never saw Novak, Roger, or, or, or Rafa get into it with any of these players because they were just in a league of their own or, or Murray for that matter. And I think now that these players are more kind of, it's, they're, they're lumped together a bit more and the tiers are a bit deeper that you're going to see these guys fighting for the pole positions. And I mean, they don't seem like they're going to be hanging out, eat, having a picnic. So there does seem to be some chatter. I mean, and some edginess and we, we need to feed into that because I think that's when our best tennis is out there and that's when our sport looks best on TV. Medvedev, 7-3 and three career head-to-head against Tsitsipas, uh, including today's result, I believe. Let me see. Does that include today's result? It does not. So 7-4 and four now. They've played 11 times. That's second most for Medvedev, trailing only Zverev, who he's 6-6 six and six with, and I always very enjoy. I love that matchup. Two play. Yeah, it's really, really fun. Tomorrow's yeah. Zverev's not here. No, it, it's a good rivalry. And to your point, why these ATP finals feel more valuable than honestly they did in 2012 or 2014-16 is this is very much a pecking order sort of event. Yeah, we know Novak is probably the guy right now, but who else? Who else is there? 
Is it Kasparud? Is it, obviously we don't have Carlos Alcaraz, but Felix can he capitalize on this form? And just they all get shots at each other. And in a year where no one has ten top ten victories, no one's in double digits. Nate, we need to see this. I need you guys to go mano in mano, and. It's very fun to watch it all unfold. I agree with you. And again, you look for Stefano Tsitsipas overall on the day. 41 winners against 28 unforced errors. He continued to sustain his aggression. 30 of 37 at the net again was just so efficient in finding the early first volleys. Runs out to the six love lead in the breaker. And, you know, the moment it was three love, you knew it was over because Medvedev started yelling at his box and Tsitsipas just maintained his poise throughout the course of the match. And credit to Tsitsipas, who win or lose, he goes down swinging. And today he goes down swinging in the best possible way. He didn't win the last note on Tsitsipas. He didn't win the point. I, well, my, my, my phone froze when I was watching it, but I don't think he did. He chased down like three or four overheads from Medvedev in that second set tiebreaker, where it's just like, how in the world is a guy that's like six foot four, six foot five, that agile and that like his dexterity and his flexibility. I mean, he joke. was covering well outside the doubles guys on either side and sliding in. It's just like, these guys are moving at a different level. So Sidney Foss is one of the best athletes on the tour and he's starting to put everything together. And I, I'm excited to see what he can do to build on this. Cause he looks like he's in uh, in great form. I said this earlier, I'll say it again now. Yes, Tsitsipas was able to pull off the serve and volleying, but against a lesser player, that Medvedev can even get his racket on that service return and hit the ball as cleanly as he as it does. Like there was at one point, Tsitsipas hit this really casual low backhand volley that he all he had to do was make it, but he did. It's a really hard volley. Like you get jammed, lesser players get jammed on that volley, yeah. and Tsitsipas did not. And again, that's a credit to his performance today. But this is fun rivalry. It's a fun, yeah, you do. It's a fun contrast of styles. Um, so I always enjoy when these two play. But look, that's your ATP Finals action. Uh, again, we kick things back up tomorrow. Rafa going to get a look to get a victory as he takes on Kasparud. Another elimination match over on that side, as well as Felix is going to play Fritz. A little ATP Cup rematch. So revenge is on the mind. That said, I do have one more thing I want to talk to you about, though. And it's the storyline maybe we care about most transpiring this week is Ben Shelton going to crack the top 100 Shelton currently sitting at 111 in the live rankings if he wins the event this week he will go up to number 96 in those live rankings pending some other players results but it's on his racket obviously the Australian Open wildcard challenge he's in the lead Chris Eubanks really needs him to lose pretty soon and then needs to also win the title if he wants to surpass Shelton. That said, if Shelton becomes top 100, then the wild card goes to the second recipient because or second place finisher because Ben will get in on his own ranking. So it's actually Chris's it's kind of a win-win scenario actually for Eubanks. That said, he faces an elimination match against Tennis Sandgren tomorrow. Sandgren looked really good yesterday. Sects two and three, six, one, six, love. He wins them physically. The guy is just a freaking animal. Um, he's yeah. going to take on Eubanks. Yeah. That's a really fun contrast of styles. Indoors, you might lean Eubanks, but, you know, again, that's really fun. August yeah. Holmgren, the last time he was in Champaign, he made the NCAA singles final. He gets a good first win in three sets over Paul Jubb. By the way, Ben Shelton playing Ethan Quinn 
talk about a that's, you know get your popcorn ready for that match tomorrow, folks. That's going to be SEC, a gem. baby. Yeah. By the way, Alexander Kovacevic, former Illinois All American, he's at a new career high. He's into the quarterfinals, up to number one sixty five with that result. There's a lot of juice on this, a lot of meat on the bone, a lot of Americans, former college players in play here, Nate. Prediction, what you're watching most closely. I mean, I'm definitely tuned into Sheldon Ethan Quinn. Those are two of the best college players in the last few years to come out. I mean, I know Quinn will play his first year, but he's already got the number one ranking. And I think that's just a fun matchup. I mean, those are two of the best Americans that are up and coming. If you don't know about those guys, you definitely want to watch that. Um, where would that be streamed for just google usta pro circuit live stream or go, go to or, or go to challenger atp challenger tv but i mm-hmm. support the usta so i go to their stream because that's what mike cation tells me to go to boom shout to mike cation um but no i think that matchup is electric i, I think shelton does break in the top 100 he just, I mean, back-to-back challenger titles. He has no he points just, to defend till <clears throat> June. He's going to do it either, but it's will yep. he do it at this event? No, I think he definitely could. I mean, I like his draw. If he gets Quinn, might. I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen Quinn play the challenger circuit at all, but I mean, I would assume Quinn's one of the tougher matchups he'll have in this in his bottom half. Uh, Savage is playing amazing as well, but I like how Sheldon matches up against him. He's just bigger, more pace, more athletic. Um, can move just as well. I mean, yeah, I think Shelton will – can he do three in a row, though? I'll take – out of the top, I'll take – are we going to see, like, the third straight week of Eubanks and Shelton? I don't know. That's, that seems like a lot. But I'll take Eubanks from the top, and I'll take Shelton from the bottom because that seems to be the hot hand on the, on the Challenger Tour. I'll Give say me this. Shelton. Alex Vukic yesterday played really well. Vukic, top 150 guy. He's playing his match under a banner, his photo of him as an Illini All-American. He loves, you know, again, he knows these courts well. Ben and Kova, just fun fact, are playing doubles together this week. So wouldn't it be fun to see them match up? I just think it's Ben's time. Like, I just I just do. I think he's going to do the, okay, I won three challengers in a row. I don't need to play the challenger level anymore. It's time for me to go play the ATPs heading into next year. And I think that's the best narrative. I think that's what's going to – I mean, I saw him yesterday. He's just better at tennis than everyone, like at, at all the things. And, like, and in person, his slice looks so much better than it does on a live stream. I'll go Ben – I think Kipson's going to upset. I mean, I really liked how Kipson played yesterday. Kip, Although Vukic's bu- forehand might I'm overwhelm him. I'm bummed I didn't get to watch Montez versus um, Kipson. That seemed like a Go fun watch the replay. Uh, is it up there? Challenger I TV, will. baby. Okay, I will. Or watch Vukic-Kipson Sh- tomorrow. That's going to be really good. Or it might be tonight. It's also interesting that Sheldon on the brink of cracking the top 100 seems to be inching closer to signing a deal with a uh, apparel shoe company. Um, I don't think you guys will be people are going to be surprised to see who it is, but pretty cool. That he's kind of waited it out, made sure he's he's a he's a smart man, and I think it's going to be cool to see people kind of see where he goes with his career. Alex Vukic six four up right now on Patrick Kipps, and I was like, I'm pretty sure they do play tonight, um, and indeed they do. Yeah, I mean, it's funny to watch him now, and he's got all the different brands on, and it's like I could I'll I look good in exactly. all of them. Um, like, <clears throat> trust me, folks. No, it's going to be a fun week. I'll take Shelton over Holmgren, little NCAA finals rematch in Champaign. Wouldn't that be fun? I'll do it for the narrative. That'd be fun. I, I've seen your tweet circulate. I know you like to put it out there when he has it. But, like, honestly, 
Where do you see Sheldon's potential? I know you have a tweet out there somewhere in the archives that says top, top 10 or something crazy. Where do you honestly feel like Sheldon, like, yeah. what's attainable in, in, in reality? I need to see him on clay before I can answer that question truthfully. That's because fair. I just have – every match he's played this year has been on a hard court. I think he can be top 10 in the world. Absolutely. He has the athleticism. He has the weapons. He has – every time I see him, he's a little bit better at something. And, yeah, the forehand backswing's a little funky. It's a little weird. But, man, on a clay court, like, can you imagine a ball bouncing up into his strike zone and he just pops his feet through it once he's comfortable on it from a movement perspective? Like, I think he's going to be a nightmare on clay. He can serve and volley, so he's going to be a nightmare on grass courts. Like, I think he's going to be a nightmare. And weapons work. And he has weapons. He has athleticism. I think he – I do. I, I'm not saying he's going to be perennial top 10, but I think he will become right. a top 10 player. I was asked this today in the office, and I, I said top 20, top 25, but, like, maybe – I mean, we've already seen him destroy a top three player in the world. I mean, I watched him 6-1, 6-1, rude, and just looked very comfortable doing it. It didn't look like he was doing anything out of his shoes. So, no, I like it. I like the prediction. I know you got to stand by what you had out there a couple of years ago, and I think you might be on something. Yeah, and never let – facts get in the way of a good story um so i'm gonna stick with the take i'm gonna ride with it till the end i'm of the skip bayless school of thought with that said i know you got a rock and run uh rock and run rock and roll is how you say that in english any final (laughs) thoughts for me any other tennis point things we should be aware of uh tennis point things no guys um check out the pure tennis podcast if you get all your mini break stuff and you you need more tennis come over and check out the pure tennis podcast just did one of our favorite episodes with a mentor of mine, uh, my coach, Angela Wilson, one of the best coaches in the country, uh, coached a bunch of juniors, coached the UC Bearcats back in the day, and she was a great player herself, played on, played at all levels. Um, just to get her perspective on USTA, UTR, tennis, pickleball talk, kind of where everything lies in the on American soil. And she's very positive on, on the outlook of tennis and racket sports in general. And I think it's just a unique perspective from someone that's had 35 plus years in the business. So yeah. you guys want to come on over to pure tennis podcast. I know I've been saying it a lot, but Gruskin will be making his debut on here sooner than later. I think the off season is a perfect time. As you said, it sounds like a December topic for us. Uh, no, I love <clears> it as always, Nate. I appreciate having you. You know, who else we appreciate is super producer, Danny Westoff, who as always has sure. a f- of an editing job to do day in day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, for the fantastic Nate Walrath, our super producer Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host Alex Gruskin. Nate, what do we tell the people? That's the break, baby. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thank you as always, Nate. Yes, sir. Much love. Always fun.